All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalms, chapter number 33. Psalms, chapter number 33. This psalm is a wonderful psalm. It's a, uh, I believe, some psalms in your Bible uh, that you can just mark as, hey, this is a psalm to come back to, uh, to be encouraged. And, and all of us, sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we uh, go through rough spells in our life, and, and we just need something to look to, uh, to be an encouragement to us. And this psalm probably would be a good one to mark down for that, at least uh, I think so. And, uh, and Psalm chapter number 33, and just to note this, Psalm 33 does not have a title. And I read today that that Hebrew tradition holds it is a continuation of the previous psalm. I did not know that. Uh, and it's worth noting that in Psalm 32, it really ends with, Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And you'll see as we open up in the first uh, verse of Psalm 33, it continues with that same theme, uh, that of rejoicing and that of being joyful. And so uh, we'll see that it really does kind of connect and it really does uh, go together. Now, whether that was written that way or whether these two psalms just happened to go well together and, uh, and those who assembled the psalms in the book decided, hey, these two go well together, uh, it does not matter to me because I know this, that God orchestrated everything about His Word. And so this you can know that uh, they go together because God wanted them to go together. So uh, you can mark that down, all right? And, and that is very true. Psalms chapter number 33 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harps, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. Let's stop right there and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, God, for your word that we can turn to, that we can uh, lean on, that we can learn from. And God, I pray that you would use uh, me this evening. I pray, Father, that you would speak to each and every heart as only you can. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us and, uh, and strengthen us. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I've entitled the, the message tonight, uh, When Deliverance Seems Delayed. Uh, and, and I have to put seems delayed because God's never late. Uh, he never shows up late. We think he's late. We're like, God, we're down to the wire, and uh, this has got to happen now, and, and we're fretting, and we're pulling our hair out, but God never is late. He doesn't show up late. And so uh, you say, well, what a strange title uh, for the Psalms of Encouragement. Uh, and towards the end of this psalm, you'll see where it comes into play, and, uh, and you'll see that uh, towards the end, he really kind of wraps it into that. Uh, but he gives us here in the beginning uh, of this psalm the first three verses that we read, really a call to rejoice. Uh, and you can see that very clearly. He starts out very boldly in the first word, rejoice in the Lord. 
and I love that. Uh, notice who he's directed it to. He says, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. And listen, he is calling the righteous to praise him uh, and, that, and to rejoice in God. And I want you to notice the state of the heart because that's important. He says, O ye righteous. Listen, our righteousness is not because, well, because I'm in church tonight, therefore I'm righteous. No, no, no. Our righteousness is not because, well, I put a tie on and I iron my shirt and I put a coat on and, and therefore I'm righteous. No, that's not our righteousness. Our righteousness comes about from his shed blood. Just like we sang on, there's power in the blood. Praise the Lord for that. We don't have a way to make ourselves righteous. There is no way for us to bring, out, bring about our own righteousness. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have righteousness. And, uh, and so certainly God is calling us, those who are saved, those who are born again, to praise and to rejoice over him. Listen, who else is going to do it? The lost world is not going to rejoice over Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, they're the ones picking up the stones. They're the ones with the hammer and nails. They're the ones that, that, that want him to be gone. They want to eradicate him from everything. They're not rejoicing over God. They're rejoicing in their own wickedness. So therefore, hey, listen, it's our responsibility as saved people to rejoice in the Lord. And that's what he's calling us to. He says, rejoice in the Lord O ye righteous. And I love this second part. For praise is comely for the upright. And, uh, and listen, that word comely just means suitable or proper. And, and along with righteousness, as in being saved, there's just something about being right with God and singing praise to Him. They really go hand in hand. And uh, you, ever try to, you ever try to sing when you're down and discouraged. It, it just, it really doesn't work, to be honest with you. Matter of fact, I find it best to put in a, uh, to put in a, 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 I was gonna say a cassette tape. I don't use cassette tapes. A, a CD, I don't even use CD, I don't even have, I, I, MP3, all right? You don't even put those in, you just hit play on them. And, uh, and to pull out music that's good, godly Christian music, and to put that on, and to listen to it, and man, I, I cannot tell you uh, how many times Mark Rogers has encouraged my heart in song. I'm just telling you, uh, and I cannot tell you how many times that, that others uh, that, that are good godly people that are singing good godly music, man, you've put it on and, and whatever song it is, uh, it's like your flesh is almost like, man, I, I was kind of enjoying being discouraged. Just shut that off. You know, let me mope for a little bit. And your spirit's saying, man, this is what I really need. That flesh is beating me up. Man, I need a little bit of help over here. And, and, and you put that on and it's helpful and it's encouraging because praise, that would be honoring and glorifying God and, and vocally praising God uh, is proper or is comely for the upright. And listen, it is a call or a call to rejoice in the Lord is a call to be right with God. They go hand in hand. And, uh, and so he's saying that, hey, there is a call 
to rejoice. We see the state of heart there in verse number one. Notice the song in verse number two and three. He says this, Praise the Lord with harp, sing unto him with psaltery, and an instrument of ten strings. Uh, I, I think it's the church of God, but I might be mistaken. I know there's some groups out there that, that don't have any instruments. They don't even believe in instruments. No piano, no, no, no guitar, no harps, uh, nothing, just vocal. And I scratch my head at that all the time. Not, I like a good, uh, I like a good acapella group. I mean, I, it's not that they're wrong, but to say no music is, I don't know where the Bible's really clear right here. Praise the Lord with harp. So that's the instrument that you strum uh, and you play. Uh, it, says, it goes on, sing unto him with psaltery. Uh, that is another instrument. I'm not for sure exactly what it is, but it's an instrument and an instrument of ten strings. And I've often thought about that because I play mandolin and it's only got eight. Unless you buy a Peruvian mandolin, then it's got ten. Uh, see me afterwards. I'll explain how that works. But, uh, uh, but, but I've often thought about that. I don't know really exactly what an instrument is with ten strings. But I know this, that God wants us to praise him in song. Musical instruments don't talk. They make melody. They make music. They make a sound. Uh, and that's not to say we should not praise the Lord with our mouths, because we should, but we ought to praise Him with a musical instrument. As I was thinking about that, I thought, listen, if you have an ability uh, to play a musical instrument, hey, He's calling us to, to, to rejoice and to praise the Lord with our musical talent that we have. And listen, that's... That's developed, it's practiced, it's exercised. Not everyone, uh, you know, I, I won't say not everyone, but I'll tell you this, that probably 95, maybe 99% of the people who play instruments, they didn't just wake up at five and just sit down. They weren't a Beethoven automatically. Um, they worked at it. They put hours into it. And, and they, they developed that talent. And God is saying, hey, if you've done that, or you have a propensity to do that, then you ought to honor and glorify God with that talent that you have. And so we see song and musical instrument, not just in musical instrument, but we also see it in the mouth. Uh, he says there in the middle of the verse, uh, or verse number three, sing unto him a new song. And listen, we ought to sing uh, with our mouths to God. And um, listen, you, you know me. I am not for worldly music by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not for merging Christianity with worldly music. But there's nothing wrong with sitting down and writing good, godly, new songs. We, we need to understand that. I'm not saying worldly. We're not, we're not going towards the world. But, but um, I was at Heartland here a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, one of the fellows there, I forget his name, it slips my mind, I know who he is, Higginbotham, uh, wrote, a, wrote a song, and they, their choir sang it. Uh, Alyssa was good. And listen, there's nothing wrong with new. So we need to be careful that sometimes we get so fearful of everything new. Now we need to have to have discernment. And a lot of the new stuff is garbage. OK, uh, but but hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with having something uh, that's good and honoring and glorifying to God. Um, that being said, we have 700 songs in our handbook. When we finish learning all of those, 
Then maybe we'll branch out to new ones. You understand what I'm saying. But the Bible does say right here, a new song. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong. Maybe you're gifted in poetry. Maybe you can sit down and write things out. Maybe somebody else is gifted in writing music and they can put music to that poetry and, and it can come out with something that it would be honoring and glorifying to God. But understand that, uh, that with our mouth, we're called to rejoice. With our musical instruments in song, we're called to rejoice. Notice this. And this is our quantifier in verse number three. He says, play skillfully. Boy, don't you love that? And that means, hey, work at it. Uh, don't, don't, don't just slap something together and, and uh, put, put some effort into it. I think God is honored and glorified when we do our best. And I know everyone's at different skill levels. I'm not saying that. But, but if you're doing the best you can for, your, for the Lord, hey, then praise the Lord. That's all the skill that you can do. But if you're just sloppily, just, well, you know, it's just, it's just for church. No, that's the wrong attitude. That's the wrong mindset. He says, play skillfully for the Lord. Put forth your best. Do some effort. Uh, work at it. Uh, develop some skill. Develop some ability. And again, this is not a, a, a boastful manner to, uh, to well, look at me how great I am. No, no, no. This is to honor and glorify God because we are doing it for Him. Sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud voice. For that loud voice, I put strength. Listen, don't be shy about praising the Lord. I'm not the best singer. I don't claim to be the best singer. But you know what? I do believe I, I'm going to try and sing to the very best of my ability with some power, with some strength. Because I want others... You know what? There is When we have our fellowship meetings, preachers all get together. Usually preachers... They're, they're, we're known for loud mouths. We just are. And, and for, for volume. We get together and we sing. And I tell you what, there is something about being in a group of guys and a group of people. It uh, doesn't matter, men or women. Not that women are preachers. But, uh, but, but that would sing out and sing loud to the Lord. And, and man, and then if you can do that skillfully, that's the icing on the cake right there. I mean, that's just wonderful. But we have a call to rejoice. We are called to actually rejoice in the Lord and praise the Lord. Look with me in verse number four because we have the cause for rejoicing as we go down through four, down through 19. He's going to spend a lot of time on, on why we should rejoice, the cause of rejoicing. We have the call to rejoicing in verses one through three. We have the cause for rejoicing in verses four through 19. And there's great truths given in here about the word of God. And understanding his work is accomplished through his word. Look with me in verse number four. The Bible says, for, he's giving the cause, he's given the reason, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He opens up in verse number four with the right premise, with the right uh, uh, foundation, with the right reasoning by saying, hey, listen, the word of God 
is right. The word of the Lord is right. And listen, we established that principle right off the beginning. When you understand, hey, the Word of God is correct. The Word of God is, is appropriate. The Word of God is accurate. Hey, that removes all doubt about the Word of God. And you're standing on a firm foundation. And there's no reason to waver one way or the other because the Word of God is our foundation. And we find the appropriateness of the Word of God there in verse number 4, or the accuracy of the Word of God. You can use both of them, either one. Uh, but much is said in these next verses about the Word of God, and it starts out correctly. Uh, it's appropriate. Whatever God says is right. That's the bottom line. Just understand that. Sometimes we misunderstand stuff. Sometimes we don't always get it right. But I can tell you this, that God got it all right. And he wrote it down for us. We can thank God for that. That's a blessing to be able to know that. Uh, it, it, the word of the Lord is, is appropriate. It's accurate. The Bible says, look in verse number 5, it says, He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. And listen, uh, He loves what is right, righteousness. He loves judgment. Uh, or, or in other words, that's not judging, understand, that's judgment, which is discernment, which is to understand the truths of the Word of God. And, and it applies back to this. And he loves those things. And he's going to go on, look with me, as we see not only is it appropriate and accurate, but look in verse 6 and 7. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. And that's talking about creation and basically the authoritativeness of God's work. The fact that he could, he could just speak and say, let there be light and there's light. And, and, and let there be the earth, and let there be the waters, and, and divide the waters. And just by his mere speech, everything was done, and everything was created that we know. By merely speaking. We think we're powerful. We think we're awesome because, man, we can develop technology and we can do this, and we can do that, and man has is man man gets all bloated in the head because he thinks, "Wow, look at how great we have become, and look at how we can do this." And and really, it is amazing some of the stuff we can do. But when you put it side by side with the fact that God spoke everything to an existence, all of our wisdom pales and falls really short of how truly God, good God is. And he created everything. He created everything just merely by speaking. Look with me in verse number six there. I love this. It says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. I love this in verse seven. He gathered the waters of the sea together as an heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. I got to wondering about that. And I thought, uh, I had heard one time that, that uh, we don't even know the entire depth uh, or, or the, the deepest part of the ocean. And so I got to look that up. I, I thought, well, I wonder what is the deepest part. And, and to our knowledge, which may not be accurate, 
um, because I don't think we've fully explored everything that God has made. Uh, the deepest part of the ocean is the is what's called Mariana Trench. It's it's a little more than thirty six thousand feet deep. That is that is six point eight miles down in the ocean. To help give you some perspective on that, the tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest. And if you were to, to pick up Mount Everest and to throw it in the ocean in Mariana Trench, it would still be, its peak would still be a mile underwater. That's how deep it is. To help put that in perspective. And what I'm saying is there are, there are creatures down there that we don't even know that exist, but God created every one of them. You understand how little we know when you put it like that and you start to think we have not even explored all of God's creation right here on earth. I'm not talking about Mars. I'm not talking about going past the stars. I'm talking about right here where we live. We have not even fully understood the depth of God's creation. And what I'm saying is uh, that makes him and his word that was able to just call, of that, uh, call all of that into existence authoritative. We find the word of the Lord appropriate. We find it accurate. We find it authoritative. Uh, look with me in, in verses 8 and 9. It says this, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That little word awe, not all, awe, A-W-E. It, it's the same thing as admiration. It's standing in amazement of what God has done. I enjoy creation. I love, I love looking at, I like going hiking. I like looking at different critters. I like, uh, I like understanding uh, science and uh, true science, biblically science, uh, and, and understanding. And I'm just amazed constantly in awe of how God has created and made everything that exists. And the Bible says that we are to stand in awe of him. We are to admire him. If society were not so bent on kicking the authority of God off of their shoulders, it would stand in complete awe of who he truly is. But every time they run into it, they're like, ah, that reminds us of a creator. We don't want to think of a creator because we don't want to think of an authority. Therefore, let's throw it off and let's go the other direction. And that's really what they do. But listen, we're just... The, not just us, not just believers, but the whole world is to stand in awe of our God because he's admirable. His word that created, he spoke everything into existence. Uh, what an amazing God. And it says that in verse 9, he spake and it was done. Look with me in verse 10. Not only is the word of God appropriate and accurate and authoritative and admirable, but listen in verse number 10, the Bible says this, The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Verses 10 and 11 show us that the word of God is abiding or ageless. It's timeless. 
He shows that he contrasts that with the, the counsel of the world today in verse number 10 or verse number 11, the counsel or verse number 10, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. In other words, oh, all the, the fancy books and all the great, uh, greatest worldly uh, philosophers of our day, you know what's going to happen? All their books are going to burn up with fire. It'll be lost. It, it's really... That's probably the value of most of it anyways. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it's worthless. Amen. And that's what he's saying. He's saying it's going to burn. It's not going to last. God's going to allow it to come to naught. Men and women have toiled for hours and a lifetime to be able to come up with all this fancy philosophy and ideology that goes contrary to the Word of God. And he's saying, we're going to wipe it off. It's worthless. But the word of God will stand for all eternity. His counsel will last. It is ageless. It is abiding forever. The Bible says in verse number 11, For the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. We see the cause for rejoicing is the word of the Lord, not just the word of the Lord there in verses 4 through 11, but we find the works of the Lord in verses 12 through 19 as he continues through this theme. Look with me in verse number 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Understand this, that God's chosen people of the Old Testament is the nation of Israel undoubtedly. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. But understand this as well, uh, and, and he doesn't abandon them either, but understand this, that God's chosen people in the New Testament, he chose a plan of salvation. And those who put their faith and trust in him are part of his people. And we thank God for that. And listen, uh, look at the works that are, are done. And so we understand that. Look in verse number 13 down through 15. The Bible says, The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. Under the works of the Lord, I want you to notice this. And that is his attention to man. Look at no one is left out in verse number 13. He says, all the sons of men. In verse number 14, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth. We're limited in our capacity and ability to pay attention to things. And uh, we, there's only so much that we can keep in mind and only so many things that we can maintain within our, our mental capacity. But listen, God's capacity is not limited. Matter of fact, he can keep track of everything that's going on in the earth at the same time. That's amazing. I can't, I can't, keep, an, I can't keep track of what's going on in this room at the same time. I look over here and I can see these folks, but I can't see any of those. And, and, and uh, they could be nodding off over here. And I turn over here and then you guys could nod off. And I'm looking at these guys. I, I don't have a capacity to be able to pay attention even to all the people that are in this room at the exact same time. But listen, the Bible is very clear that God doesn't miss a beat with anybody. He knows exactly what's going on. 
And he says that. It says that all men uh, and all the sons of men, uh, we may be limited, but God's not. Notice not only that, as we think about his attention, as we're thinking about the works of the Lord, notice this. He says there in verse number um, 13, he says, uh, the Lord looketh from heaven. Look at verse number 14, from the place of his habitation. Can I say this? There's no blocked view of God. He's got a perfect view from where he's seated in heaven of everything. Reminded, we, we worked at a deaf school in Peru for many years, and there was, um, they would let all the kids out on break. And, uh, and they'd go out and play. And, and deaf people, if you're not looking at them, if they're not looking at you, you are not going to get their attention. Uh, I mean, you know, you might catch their eye if you do this. This is how you call deaf people. You, you do this. You know, a lot of motion. And they're like, oh. And they see that motion out of the corner of their eye. And one little deaf boy, uh, every time break would be over. And the, and the students, uh, the teacher would go out like this. And she'd wave her arms. And she'd be like this, and telling all the kids come in, and he would see a couple of those kids turn and start walking. He would turn his back to the classroom and start walking the other way. Because if you're deaf and you can't see him, you don't know what's going on. And he'd just start walking away and go play off in the corner as far as he could, because as far as he was concerned, he, did, he, he had blocked it out. And listen, God sees everything. He doesn't miss anything. Sometimes man thinks, well, I can just hide it from God. Or uh, listen, a lot of, a lot of, my dad always said nothing good happens after, after dark, you know, and a lot of bad things happen after dark. Why is that? Because, well, the Bible tells us that they try to conceal themselves with the cloak of darkness and, and they try to do those things after dark. But reality is you cannot hide from God. There's nothing blocking his view. Look at verse number 15, because the Bible says, He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. We're talking about his attention and the works of God. And God pays attention to everything that is going on. There's nothing that God misses. Look at his ability in verse 16 and 19. Uh, the Bible says, There is no king save, uh, saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength, and horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. All those verses go together. They're talking about, uh, about uh, trusting in our strength. Boy, we, we tend to think of that, um, uh, the idea of, hey, America's got the strongest military power, which may be fading, and, and, and you think about, well, we're, we're secure in our uh, American power. We're secure in our bank account. We're secure in that, man, we lock our doors at night and we're secure. But he's saying this, that all of those forms of security, if your faith is truly placed in those, it's in vain is what he's saying. Because really, it's God that's going to protect you. Now, I'll couple that with the same verse that says the horse is prepared for the day of battle. 
And so I'm not saying don't lock your doors. I'm not saying don't take precaution. I'm not saying don't be wise about the things that you do. But I am saying don't put your faith in those things. Put your faith in God because he will never fail you. Your door lock may fail you. Your bank may fail you. Uh, your, your whatever it is that you're put may fail you, but God will never fail you. And he talks about that. That's what he's saying there in, in verses 18. He, he says, um, Behold, the, lie of the, the eye of the Lord is upon them. Love, notice this, that fear him. Those that stand in awe of God. That's you and I. That's those who love God. And, and that's those who are, are, are looking to him. And, and they say, uh, his eye is, uh, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. Upon them that hope in his mercy for the purpose of this in verse 19 to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. In other words, his ability to be able to care for us and uphold us when our faith is placed in him. And I'm just saying that the works of the Lord are marvelous. And if we look at his attention and the fact that he knows what's going on, listen, we get discouraged because of what's going on. But God, we, could, we, can, be, we can be consoled, we can be comforted with the idea that we only know a fraction of what's going on. And we think, God, why aren't you doing something? Oh, he, he is. He's got it all noted down. There's nothing that escapes his eye. And that includes us. And that he's watching out for us. And that he will take care of us. Notice, notice how it, it says there, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. God's not particularly concerned that you have the most comfortable road to travel for the rest of your life. We need to understand that sometimes we think, well, God, God wants us to travel the smooth road. No, that, that never says that in the Bible. And notice that he says there that he's to preserve you from death and from starvation, basically. I think it says something like that in the New Testament, that he'll provide all our needs and the things that we need. Everything else is an added blessing and an added benefit, but not necessarily a, a necessity of life. And God's able to stay on top of all of that for them that fear him. We get down to verses 20. We see the, um, the cause for rejoicing is the word of the Lord and the works of the Lord. That he does watch out for us, that he does take care of us, that uh, he is there for us. But notice, not just the call to rejoicing, the cause for rejoicing, but notice in the last couple of verses here in verse number 20, the consecration to rejoice. Look with me in verse 20. Our soul waiteth for the Lord. There's a lot of verses I like in the Bible, and that's not one of them. I don't like to wait. I'll be honest with you. There's another one in Psalms, I believe. It says, wait on the Lord. Uh, and then it says again, wait again, I say on the Lord or, or something to that nature. And I, that's not my favorite verse in the Bible. You won't see me sending my name with those verses underneath. They're not my favorite verses. But they're what God wants us to do. That is to wait on him. 
That is to hold. There's, I put down for that verse 20, uh, we have the consecration, and these are basically three steps in which we can rejoice. And the first one is being patient with God. Being patient with our circumstances. I was reminded of this verse, and, and I'm frequently reminded of this verse. Psalm 46 and verse number 10, the first part of it says, Be still and know that I am God. There's one thing I don't like to do in my life, it's to be still. I like to be active. I like to be doing. I, 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 uh, I, I, I'll sit in there and study for, for 15 minutes, and then I've got to get up and walk around the building, and I go back and sit down and study. And I'll study for another 20, 30 minutes, and I've got to get up and I've got to go and do something, and I distract. I, I, I like to be doing, but, but God says, hey, be patient and be still. It's probably one of the hardest things for some people in this world to do. That's just to say, God, I'm going to wait on you. We don't like that. I don't like that. But yet it's over and over repeated in the word of God. And we're talking about the consecration to rejoice and saying, if I'm going to rejoice, it is necessary for me to, as it says, wait for the Lord. Why? Because he is our help and our shield. We need to depend upon him. We find the patience in verse number 20. Notice this in verse number 21. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. We find the praise in verse 21. That whole recipe for praise Verses 4 all the way down through 19 really give us all the reasons to praise God. And maybe those are things that we need to go back and revisit from time to time to remind us of God's goodness to us and how great he is and how he provides and how he takes care of us because we frequently need reminded of those things. And if we do that, hey, while we're waiting, we can praise the Lord. I remember hearing, I don't remember where I heard it was years ago, and and do you ever get stuck in traffic? I don't know what it is. When I'm behind a steering wheel, being stuck in traffic is probably one of the worst things in the world. If I'm behind a steering wheel, that car needs to be moving. It just does. And uh, and 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 being stuck there in traffic. And I heard one time, or getting stopped at a stoplight, or or things like that. I heard one time um, when you're stopped at a stoplight is probably some worldly thing. But it said just turn up the music and enjoy the time that you're there. And that stuck with me. And and I thought, you know, I get stopped at a stoplight and I'm fuming. I'm going to be late and I got to be there and I got this to do and I got that to do. And and all this running through my head. And and all of a sudden it's like, just put on Mark Rogers. It'll be okay. Let him encourage your heart. Slow your life down a little bit. Nothing's going to fall apart because you're not there. And, And we need that in our life that while we're waiting through some of our difficult times to just stop and praise the Lord and remember what he has done. We find the pause or the patience that's required in verse 20. We find the praise and that we need to admire God and and be in his word and admire his works that he has done. And verse 22, look at what he says there. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope. In the verse 22 is a prayer. 
and hope. And listen, while we have patience with God, we ought to praise him. We ought to pray to him and say, God, I need your strength. I need your grace during this time of my life. And we find a consecration. And we understand why it, it's hard sometimes to deal with God's delays. And he says, while you're delayed, hey, open up Psalm 33 and read about God's word and how wonderful it is. Read about God's work and how wonderful he is at doing things. And just be patient and praise him and pray to him during that time when you're waiting. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I preach this message. I probably have to save this message and go back to listen to it for myself. But in reality, that's what God is telling us in Psalm 33. And we need to be reminded of those three simple things to be patient or to pause, to praise the Lord, and to spend time in prayer. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we see the call to rejoicing, we see the cause of rejoicing, and we see the consecration of rejoicing in Psalm 33. Father, we thank you for your word. God, bottomless, endless wealth of wisdom right here in our hands. God, I pray that you would help us to apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. And God, it's not always easy God, it's something that we need to practice and work at. But God, I pray that you'd help us as we trust in you. And God, I know everyone goes through hard times. Everyone goes through struggles. Everything, everyone goes through difficult times in their life. And may we be reminded to trust in you just to pause and to be patient with you and to praise you during those times and God to pray to you and turn our whole heart and mind and dependence over to you. We'll thank you for that. God, I ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and the piano's playing,